Welcome to the Abbot Loop Community Church Podcast. Enjoy this message from Josh Tanner. We're in a series on identity. If you're new at our church, welcome. Uh, you can get uh, the rest of the series on our app. You can download our app. You can get it at the Connection Center. And all of our messages are on the app. There's also a midweek devotional connected to every single message. If you want to dive deeper or have more of the notes, we have them in handouts you can grab, or you can just look at them online through our app. It's pretty cool. So grabbing some of those messages and revisiting them, or if you are new today or you've missed a few and you're like, wow, this speaks to me, there's a lot of other uh, content out there for you to keep growing. Understanding your identity is so important in the healthiness of your life and the consistency of your life as a believer. And last week we were talking about how when we fall in love with the body of Christ and the fact that God called us to the body and we're a part of the body, when we fall in love with that and we understand that God made us for that, it it begins to show us and teach us who we are because we're made for the body. When you come to know Christ, you become a part of his body. Body. We talked about that last week and the importance of when God's DNA is working and communicating and moving in and through you, it's being transferred to other believers and that communication is the foundation for community. And we need to learn how to communicate the love, the DNA of God to one another. But that communication has a purpose and that purpose of communication is to create movement, to make the body move. Your neurological system is the master communicator in the body, and it fires off these electrical signals that creates movement, purpose. Sometimes our bodies don't communicate really well to themselves, right? Sometimes the body of Christ struggles with communication. All conflict comes down to a misfiring of communication. It's really true. Somehow, some way, we get hurt, see wrong, do wrong, whatever, and, and we harm our own body. You know when the immune system in the body turns against itself? That's a bad thing. Autoimmune disease, right? It starts to eat and attack itself, and you're like, I don't know how to stop this. My own body is attacking me. God didn't call the body of Christ to have an autoimmune disease, to attack itself. He called it to move for his greater purpose. And when you understand that part of your identity is I'm a son, I'm a child of God, and God is in the Godhead space, he's immovable, he is the rock, and I am made to be identified also with his body, we start to discover who we are. And we have to realize, and this is the thing, is that our bodies, even as young people, we don't really know what we can do when we're young. Like, how many of you guys were young like me, and you grew up watching amazing cinema films that transformed your entire existence, like the movie Rad. Come on now, R-A-D, Rad, come on. And Gleaming the Cube, anybody watch Gleaming the Cube? Yes, last service, only one other guy watched Gleaming the Cube. Okay, now I was a young kid with a mullet, right, and greasy hair, and I wanted to be whatever the world around said I should be and what was cool. And so skateboarding was like on the rise when I was a child. And so I would watch the the movie called Gleaming the Cube as a skateboarding movie. If you don't know what a skateboard is, it's a small plank of wood with little wheels on it, okay? Everybody knows what a skateboard. You ride on it, it's extremely dangerous for large men, by the way. 
Just saying. The bigger I got, the more dangerous that, that, that exercise became. And then I finally realized as I put my body to movement, I watched Gleaming the Cube and I thought, I wanna be like that. Maybe my body could do that. Skateboard these wild ramps and all kinds of stuff. Then when I tried over and over and over again, I've got all kinds of scars on my body that tell me, you ain't no good at skateboarding, Tanner. Stay off that thing. Once I went over 200, skateboard like, please don't be on me. Right? I got size 14 feet. They hang over the edge of the snowboard or the skateboard. I'm like, mm, I shouldn't be on this. Right? There's a lot of things that you think maybe you could do, but until you start to move, you really don't know. Right? Anybody ever imagined, you're playing basketball, that you jump so high that your hand would go over the rim and you would dunk it? Yep. Anybody ever tried? And some of you around, there's a very small percentage of people in the room that tried and it actually did that. That's pretty awesome. Good for you. <clears throat> Dang it. Guess I'm not very good at that. Then you start to write or read or sing or play or do relationship with someone. And also you're like, man, I'm kind of good at that. As you begin to try, you begin to discover what you're good at what you can do and what you can't do. And then you start to master or, and or develop those skills in the areas that you have grace and you have movement, but movement creates discovery. It cultivates discovery in your life. The less we move, the less we discover. When the church stops moving, it loses sight of who it is, who she is. So the church is not made to be stopped. And you're not made to be stuck. But communication, firing, the DNA, the communication of the Holy Spirit, what he says about who you are is what really matters. What I say better be in alignment with what he says about who you are and how we speak to one another and communicate to one another, help one another, ought to create positive movement for his will. But if we put our hands on his will, put our hands on his will, or his wheel, however you want to think about it. We begin to manipulate his will, try to make his will come into alignment with our will, we get in trouble. God's given you hands to work, but your hands don't work on the will of God, they work for the will of God. You can say, uh-oh, right now, because I'm going to start preaching, Okay? I'm coming after you. Here we go. How did David, as a David, as just a shepherd boy, the son of Jesse, how did he make it through all the seasons of his life without losing his peace or having lost identity? That's what we're going to talk about today. But David understood his assignment. One of the keys is David understood his assignment was temporary, but his identity in Christ. His identity in the living God lasted forever. You've heard me say that for some time, but I feel that the Lord wants us to just sit in this idea today because he wants it to soak in. So maybe you got that and you're like, oh, that changed me. Okay, so we're gonna let that revelation sink in today. We're just gonna meditate on it a little bit. Amen? So we're looking at how our identity is what is rooted. We gotta keep our identity rooted in the right thing and allow our assignments 
to cycle. David had this. We see David as a son, a shepherd, a musician, a giant slayer, a worshiper, a general, and then an outcast. And he's living in caves, and in that space he becomes a psalmist, then a king. Then he's overthrown, and he's passed over, and then he passes on. But in this, he's a king, and then he's a sinner. He's a saint. He takes, he takes Mephibosheth, who is Saul's son. Everybody wishes your parents named you Mephibosheth, don't you? I know. It's like, man, why'd I have to be named Bob? How cool would it be if they just said, John, Bob, Mephibosheth, that's me. In class, right? That'd be awesome. He was a father. He was a saint. He takes Mephibosheth, the grandson of Saul, the king, the former king. And in those times, they just wiped those, the whole line out so there'd be no other people to compete with their throne. Instead, he loved that kid. He let him eat at his table. It was a miracle. It was a, it was a saintly thing to do. He was a father, but he was also a failure. And he was truly a man after God's own heart. But he never lost his identity because he kept his identity rooted in the right place. So how did he do it with such grace and such peace? One of the things that we see is him being tested. And there's a big contrast between the way he kept his peace and the way one of his sons lost it. He, he had these, uh, I just had... More than one wife, right? And I'm just telling you right now, that's not going to work. It's not going to work, okay? And that's going to cause trouble. So don't think that's going to work out for you. Uh, and never mind, I'm going to stop there. Okay. <laughs> Boundaries, Josh. You don't want to know what, what I just filtered. It got me in trouble. Okay. Um, but what we want to do is we want to keep our, uh, keep our, when we see David, his peace. And, and, and Absalom, we see these two individuals getting off track. It comes from decisions David made. There are decisions we make that cause us to suffer more in our life. And David decided he needed more than one wife, so he just kept marrying a bunch of ladies and kind of adding to his, you know, collection, I guess. Well, one of his mistakes he made is he sinned with Bathsheba, and he brings Bathsheba in. That child dies, but then he has more kids, right? And he has other kids from other wives. And one of the kids was Ammon. Tamar and Absalom. Those are three of the kids that he had. And they have this really bad interaction. And so Ammon really falls in love with his half-sister, Tamar, who is Absalom's full sister, okay? So stay with the Jerry Springer show here. Just keep track, all right? Is that uh, Ammon sets up Tamar, and he really wants her just period, he just wants her. He's lusting after her, and so he sets up this thing and then doesn't kind of work out the way he wants, and so he takes control of the situation, and he takes advantage of Tamar. Well, uh, uh, Absalom does not like this, that Ammon raped his sister, and so he's kind of like waiting for his dad to do something about it, but David kind of doesn't do anything about it soon enough, at least, for Absalom. So Absalom takes matters into his own hands, justice into his own hands, and he comes after Ammon and he kills him. So now Absalom is a fugitive of the king because he murdered someone. And so he gets banished and Absalom's out, banished. David is grieved and the whole nation is grieving and, in, and has this huge fracture that happens because the king's family is just a big, huge mess. Well, down the road, through a set of circumstances, Absalom is allowed back into the kingdom. And this is all found in 2 Samuel chapter 14, 
15, 16, and 17. It's all those chapters, so you can dig in the Bible and read those if you want, and I encourage you to do so. It's amazing stories. But we see Absalom come back, and uh, he's allowed in the kingdom, but he's not allowed to see the king. So the king keeps him at a distance. And for two years, he's at a distance, and Absalom gets impatient, and so Joab is Absalom, or, uh, David's general, and he tries to send word to Joab. He's like, Joab, come meet with me so I can get an audience with the king. I want to talk to the king. And he just pressures him multiple times, and he's not responding. He's like, hey, look, I'm not coming to meet with you unless the king tells me to do that, right? But then he lights, he can't get what he wants, so he lights Joab's field on fire. And, and, and so Joab has to come to him now. And he comes to him, he's like, man, what you lighting my stuff on fire for? It's pretty much like that. This is how it is in the Bible. <clears throat> what you lighting my stuff on fire for? Jo Joab just gets sucked right in, and, then, and Absalom's like, hey, look, I had to do that so you'd come talk to me. He's like, What? And so he goes, I need to talk to the king. I need an audience with the king so he can either kill me or let me stay. I just need to be judged for whatever it is I did, and, and, and I, need, I need justice. I need to be able to be able to roam and operate freely in the kingdom. And so he gets Joab to get him in front of the king, and he gets in front of the king, and then the king forgives him, and he lets him stay. And so Absalom finds himself every day at the gate where everybody's coming in. And he goes in and see, Absalom had something in his heart. He wanted to be king. And in that spot, he looked for every vulnerable person coming in through the gate and he talked to them and he found out every little problem they had and he's like, oh, poor you. Oh, the king is so bad, he doesn't pay attention to you. Oh, if you had a better king like me, then I would help take care of your problems. It says in the Bible that Absalom was so handsome he, there was no imperfection from the top to the bottom, head to the toe. Think of that. Pretty, that's pretty good. That'd be nice, right? Too bad, everybody. <laughs> okay, I don't know. That's not my life. He said his hair was so amazing, which I guess that's a good thing. I kind of don't think hair that's important, but his hair was so amazing that they would cut it off once a year, and it would weigh like, I don't know, so many shekels. Well, I don't even know how many shekels my hair weighs because it just falls out so fast I can't keep track of it, so... Whatever he thinks. So he takes all of his skills and his beauty and whatever he has, and he sits at the gate where it's most vulnerable, where people are most vulnerable, and they have these needs, and he finds their needs, and he tries to woo them and sway them. It says he would kiss them, and he would touch them, and he would like minister, you know, oh, poor you. And it, he stole the hearts of the people. The enemy is always looking to steal the hearts of the people. He's, the, the kingdom is always under attack. It's always under attack. The enemy does not want the kingdom to move, right? So throughout all history, uh, the, the enemy has been after the children of God. So we see Absalom woo the people. And then in uh, uh, Samuel chapter 15, he does this crazy thing is he crowns himself as king. Then Absalom, it's 15.10, sent secret messengers throughout the tribes of Israel. As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpets, then say, he tells them this specifically, Absalom is king. 200 men from Jerusalem accompanied Absalom. They had been invited as guests and went 
uh, quite innocently knowing nothing about the matter. While Absalom was offering sacrifices, he also sent all these other people, David's counselor and uh, Gillo, whatever, to his hometown, and he, consp he conspired against them. Look, he came in, and he made his kingdom happen. Come on, why don't you just think about this? He sets it all up, and he goes, at just this right time, I want this small group of people. I'm gonna get all these other people that are important, but I'm gonna get this small group of people to buy into what I need them to do so that I can be the thing I think I'm supposed to be. And then he goes and he tells them, here's what we're gonna do. You guys all say this, and then everybody's gonna say it. And they're all like, what just happened? Absalom makes himself king. And really sad thing happens after this really is that Absalom makes himself king and David goes, when he finds out about it, he gets all his men. He's like, hey, we got to get out of here. Absalom is coming for uh, our kingdom. He's going to come wipe us out. So we need to just get out. They're like, we're running? He goes, yep, we're running. And on their way out, Zadok and the Ark of the Covenant, and the priests are going out with the Ark of the Covenant with the king. And at the edge of Jerusalem, he says, hey, you guys got to stop and stay. You guys can't come with me. They're like, what? You're the king. He goes, no, no, no. Listen, God is going to decide this matter. And if God wants me to not be king, and that's what's happening right now, none of us should be fighting against this. And he says, the presence of God is going to stay in Jerusalem. See, how does a man do this? How do you survive someone trying to take over your whole kingdom and not allow it to affect the inner person? David could have put his hands on that right there. He could have rallied the army, fought against, defend instead. He let God sort it out. Because his identity was not in being king, guys. This is the key. His identity was not in being king. He leaves. He goes out. And then Absalom comes in, takes over. And people are hurling stones at David on his way out. And they're cursing him and tell him all this stuff. And David's, David's men are like, dude, we're going to go cut those guys' heads off. They can't talk about you that way. And he's like, no, 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 no. If this is God doing this, then all those things that they're saying about me, if that's God saying that, then I need to repent. I need to figure out what's going on. He's like not even allowing anybody to retaliate. And he goes off. And then what happens is, is that God sets Absalom up in his own pride and arrogance. And he's out and he's trying to maneuver and continue to manipulate. And he just creates more and more destruction. And then the, he gets taken out in the battle when he's trying to kill his father and take the kingdom. And clearly God chose David to be king. It was a really grievous thing, and here's the thing, is that any time someone puts their hands on the will of God to manipulate it in the body of Christ, the whole body suffers. It brings a civil war to the body because you and I are not called to manipulate the circumstances. If we start to manipulate the will of God and try to make the will of God our will, as we see it best, then we create chaos in the kingdom. But God has called us to go to work. 
And this is where we need to follow the example of David, is that David allowed his heart in the midst of this to stay at rest and peace because he understood who God was. Look at Psalms. When he's in the middle of all this chaos and all this hurt throughout all of his life, he writes these Psalms, Psalms 27, four. This was what it was in David's heart. This is what he believed about God in the midst of his pain, his trial, his trouble. When all the circumstances around him were just a disaster, he says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple, for in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his uh, sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. This is about how he saw God always. His core desire in his life was not to be king, was not to be the thing he did, was not to be important, it was to dwell in the house of the Lord. When your heart is in the right place and it's on the rock, all of a sudden those circumstances and things around you that are happening, you don't have to have it all figured out. Your heart can be at peace if you are seeking the right thing. Psalm 121, verse one, I lift up my eyes to the mountains where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Not from his army, right? Not from him making it happen. The maker of heaven and earth, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forever. This is about, if you wanna maintain your peace when everything around you is shifting and changing and you wanna maintain your, your ability to behave and respond righteously no matter what, you have gotta keep your eyes on the King of Kings and your heart seeking after him and him alone because there are circumstances, folks, in your life that are gonna happen that won't make sense to your natural mind. You won't be able to sort them out and you won't get all the answers. You can't. So you and I, and, and things will be taken away from you. Just like David. David had the kingdom. He was anointed king. He's like, hey, I didn't get the memo that somebody else got anointed king. And all of a sudden, uh, I got another, there's another king? Who's this? What the heck? And it's my son? Okay, sometimes the person who comes to disrupt your life is someone really closest to you, a son, a family member, somebody that you care about very deeply. And the enemy knows how to use things that we say and do to hurt, to harm us, to get right at us, and to challenge what we really believe about who we are, to disrupt, try to disrupt who we believe we belong to, but see, David, this is, a, this is one of the things that David never did. David never crowned himself king. 
He never made himself king. He never put himself in that place. So because he didn't put himself in that place, he didn't have to keep himself in that place. But Absalom, he put himself in that place. So then he had to keep himself in that place. And if you and I ever engage into whatever it is we're called into the body of Christ, if we engage into that environment by putting our hands to the will of God, making the will of God happen. Oh, so somebody prophesies to you, you're supposed to do this, oh, I see you as the best uh, you know, prophet in the land. And you're like, well, I'm called to be a prophet. Well, maybe you're not good enough to do it yet. Or maybe God hasn't opened up that door for you to do it yet. Who's in charge of you and your prophetic gift? God, he better be. If he's not and you're in charge of it, you're gonna make a mess like Absalom. If I'm not in charge of it or if I, if I put my hands on it and be in charge of how God uses me, when God uses me and what context he uses me, what that really looks like, then all of a sudden I have put my hands on the will of God instead of my hands to the work for God. I work for his will. Think about it, I work for at the pleasure of the king. What does he wanna do with me? How does he wanna use me? But man, when I start putting my hands to that, all of a sudden, nobody wins. When, when anybody puts their hands on the will of God, the body loses, everybody starts to lose. When Absalom was impatient, impatience is one of the most uh, critical things that drives us to put our hands on the will of God. It doesn't happen soon enough for us. Absalom's justice for his sister didn't happen soon enough for him. He put his hands on the will of God. He wanted justice now, and he killed his brother, caused him to be banished. What if he waited a couple months? Maybe David needed some time to process it. I don't know. I mean, it doesn't really fill in the blanks, but maybe David would have acted. He didn't act fast enough for Absalom, but Absalom went in, made his judgment, did his action, he's like, Psh. and then he, he built some sort of belief in his mind. His dad was not a good enough king because he did not do the job he was supposed to do. So now he's like, I need to get even. I'm getting even with my dad, and I need to be king. So he sees himself as king. Did God say Absalom was king? I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. He decided he should be. And he begins to set up and manipulate the circumstances. And whenever the circumstances start to get manipulated, loss, grief, chaos, division, civil war, the body begins to turn on itself. This is not God's plan, church. It's not God's plan. His plan isn't for you and I to put our hands on it. Proverbs 14, 30 says, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. A heart of peace brings life. When I'm at peace with whatever and whenever and however God is gonna do whatever, whenever, however he wants to do, I'm bringing life to the body. But when I feel like I've gotta control and put my hands on and make it happen whenever, whenever, however I want it to happen because I think that what I heard and I know and I see and I think about me and how everything should operate, when I think it's not going the way I want, put my hands to that, I start to control that. Now you have to know that that is gonna bring chaos. I'm actually making an attack on the body because I'm, I'm actually controlling and manipulating the will of God 
for selfish gain. Well, here's one good thing, folks, we can all rest at ease, is that nobody can manipulate the will of God. His steering wheel is too big for you. When I was a little kid, I used to try to drive my dad's old pickup truck that had no power steering, and I couldn't drive it because I couldn't even turn the wheel. It was too big for me, thank God, right? Because I would have started to cause some trouble. But we need to make a shift in how we see our involvement in the kingdom. God, what have you called us to? I am not gonna crown myself. Some people say it like this, that your gift makes room for you. And, but most of the time when we, we get frustrated because it doesn't happen fast enough or in the right way, you know, or we get so attached to certain things like uh, that, that are really um, certain parts of uh, life are so appealing to us all and they get lots of attention. Worship leaders, worship pastors get lots of attention, you know. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid growing up, I loved music. I played music from the time I was in the fourth grade till when I graduated. I was in band. I like jazz band. Um, somehow I made it in the choir. But it was really because they were using me for something else, not singing, okay? They had these other drama things they wanted to put me to work doing, so I got manipulated into that. No, I didn't get manipulated. They, they, they brought me in. They, I, I mean, I, I probably told you this before. I'm doing the song test, and they're like going, Ding, 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 ding. Sing this note. Ding, 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 ding. And I'm like, I can't even sing one note on the piano. She goes, try this note. And I'm like, I can't get it. And then she's like five different notes. And she looks at me and goes, you're in. I'm like, what? <laughs> you're, I'm thinking, something's not right here. Okay. <laughs> you remember that, Kim? It's true. She had, a, she had another purpose for that, right? Kim was doing youth ministry at our high school when I was a kid. So anyway, um, she wanted to have me do something else, that's fine. But I grew up doing music and I loved jazz and I, Harry Connick Jr. was like my hero, okay? I, I, anybody, you guys know who Harry Connick Jr. is, right? You might not know Gleaming the Cube, but you know Harry, that's the area and you're good, okay? And so I wanted to be Harry Connick Jr. so bad. Oh my gosh, how awesome would that be? You know the kind of attention Harry Connick Jr. gets because of his buttery, awesome voice? And have you ever heard him play the piano? The guy's a freak. He's a so I really thought, man, how cool would it be? But I quickly realized and learned I don't have that skill. And I can, it didn't take me that long. Jo Joni tells me it took me longer than I thought. But <laughs> there are times when we put our hands to something and we start to move and realize this is not actually what I'm made for, but I want to do it so bad that I'm going to make room for me. Because I want to be that. And when we see ourselves as that thing, and that that's who we are, then we're trying to work towards it. We are manipulating the will of God. We're actually creating chaos in the body of Christ, not synergy. We're not adding value. We're not bringing peace. It's envy. I want to be hairy, and because and, Harry gets all the attention. I mean, not like a hairy person. Focus. Harry Connick Jr. I want to be Harry Connick Jr. Sing like him, play like him. And because he, he gets all the attention, so envy causes me to want to be something I'm not. 
Then it caused me to want to put my hands on manipulating the situation, trying to steer God's will to be what I want my will to be. But David has this amazing way of you just let go. Let go of your identity in what you do and allow it to be who you are to be really rooted in who you belong to. I'm just going to do a quick little thing. Joni, if you can grab one of these for me. I'm putting you to work. Since you teased me, you're in now have an appointment. Nope, you're over here on this side. And then I need uh, maybe the moss girl. Come on, girl, you're integrated. Uh-oh, you were texting, and now you're in the message. Here you go. <laughs> here we go, sister. Pay attention. You're in the middle up on the top there. That's what happens when you come to church. And how about you, Shelby? Are you good? You can help me. Do we have? Uh, this will work. This will work. Here you go. You're over here. You're the do. You're the act. Okay. All right. So everybody hold them up. There you go. So we have this progression. You guys have heard me teach on this before. Is see, feel, act. And this is one of the things we have to keep really, really straight. Maybe you could scoot over here just a little bit. We'll get a little closer. Now, if I see myself, and like David, if David saw himself as king, if his identity was in king, there should be an N in there. Hey, she's a wheeze. Good night. <laughs> That says king. It's like hieroglyphics. Just remember the symbol, okay? If I see king, then, and I, it's kind of low. If I see king, and I believe I am king, then when Absalom comes and dethrones me, I feel what? I'm afraid. I'm freaking out because I am no longer king. All of a sudden, I'm not king, and if my identity is rooted in this, then I start to freak. I'm just going to write an F for freak. Remember, that means freak, okay? I panic. I have fear, anxiety, worry, insecurity, and then I go over here, and what do I do? I try to change this back because I'm supposed to be. So then when I act, I'm going to go, and I'm going to put my hands on it, and I'm going to write respond or are. I'm going to respond. I'm going to react, okay? I'm going to react to try to manipulate. Let's put an M for manipulate, okay? I'm going to manipulate the situation to try to make myself king again, right? But David didn't do that because David never put king in identity. He never let king be identity. He only let son be identity, Okay? The only thing you can allow over here, you can owe in your identity, how you see you belong to God, is son or daughter, kid. All right? Jesus said to his disciples, if you don't come to me like a little kid, you're not going to get it. You got to come to him like a little child. Joni is a woman, but she has to see herself like a kid. You're not that little, though. because <laughs> when I see myself like a kid it all makes sense daddy you're in charge of me being king right and I don't have to if I'm doing king over here it's great that means king golly you guys are so picky K I N Gee, okay. There you go. So picky, like you can't read that. 
<laughs> I can be king. See, David was okay because he kept his identity as a son, and he allowed himself to be son, shepherd, worshiper, king, psalmist, outcast, overthrown, failure. When he failed over here, it didn't affect over here. What happened was when he failed or succeeded over here, he learned more and more about who he was over here. Because all the time, if, if you are son, daughter, then you always feel what? Secure, valued, loved. Feel never changes. It never changes because he never changes. And then your assignment, it's just temporary. It's not who you are. Oh, I'm son, I'm father, I'm this, I'm that. I do this for a season. I do worship for a season. I work in the workplace for a season. How about this? Moms, I'm gonna take this home. I'm gonna bring this real close. And I just felt like the Lord told me to use this as an example. If I am mom, which would be super weird if I literally was mom, okay? But if you, Ducey, you have kids, and then you begin to see yourself as Mom, instead of child of God, kid. And you have your kids, and they start to grow up, and they're like, oh, I love having kids, and you take care of them, making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and all that kind of stuff. And then they start to, like, want to do other stuff. Like hang out with their friends, and then uh, especially if it's your son, then all of a sudden your son, like, finds another girl. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and then the other girl comes into your world, and... They start, the other girl, like their girlfriend, right? G-I-R-L, okay, girl. Sorry, I don't, my brain doesn't know how to spell and talk at the same time. If, I, if this girl starts to take the place of me as mom because that's who I believe I am, all of a sudden here, I'm feeling like someone's stealing from me. And that's a girl. This little hussy, she coming around my boy, she taking it from me. I'm going to take back what he stole from me, right? And you start singing the song and doing the stomping dance, and you're coming over here, and all of a sudden the girl's the enemy. Joel's <laughs> in the back laughing. And stealing something from you. And you're not feeling good about it. So then what do you do? You over here, because you're not just mom and what you do, you start to have bad behaviors. Control, manipulate, try to get rid of her. That little hussy, she's stupid. You're trying to get rid of her. Right? Can you not say hussy out loud? No, is that not bad? Okay, okay, good. Uh, major pain. Was I doing major pain? Oh, hello. All right, sorry. Some other characters come out from time to time. When I see myself as what I do, then what I do no longer is, I'm no longer able to do that anymore. Then I feel insecure. I feel somebody's being robbed and taken from me. And then I freak out and start to respond to change that. So then I attack and I try to like over nurture my kid rather than send him out. Okay, come on. All right, moms. Sorry. It's hard though, right? I mean, come on, moms. You know how we are. 
we've... <laughs> we, this thing starts to grow inside of us. And then we nurture it, and we're feeding it. It literally, its umbilical cord is attached to us. And it drains us. It makes us fat. We get bloated. We have heavy water weight. All these things. We can't walk. We can't move. Then all of a sudden, this traumatic event happens. And we call that life. And we birth this baby and almost kills us. You know? You know. You know. And then they literally have to cut the umbilical cord. And then we nurture it. For over a year, it's, uh, we're the only source of its life, right, moms? Yeah. And then it wants to go out and get a girlfriend? Are you kidding me? Oh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Are you talking to me? You can't be looking at my boy, right? Because it's very difficult for all of us. Motherhood, I, I just, just telling you right now, it's not fair. You're going to have to all sort it out with Jesus up in heaven. I don't know why it's so much harder to be a woman and have babies and do life. It's just way harder. Okay, it's a bummer. You're going to get to heaven and God's going to go, oh, look at all the cool things you learn. You're like, thanks. I don't know. I don't get it. Okay. But if you see yourself as mom, you're in trouble. Because we can't guarantee, and now, now I'm going to switch to be a little serious, okay? Is that we can't guarantee that when we have our children, that they're even going to be able to be, stay alive. Sometimes we lose the most precious things to us through tragedy and loss. Either it's rebellion or mistakes, or like in David's example, he, he just made a lot of mistakes in his family life, man, and it caused a lot of division and problems, and he had these messes, and, and life's just not perfect. And, but, but, but if we are mom, if we are dad, or we are teacher, or pastor, or whatever it is that you do, your assignment, and then when you lose that thing, all of a sudden, chaos, fear, abandonment. Who am I? Man, you, 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 some of you stay-at-home moms, you're like, man, I've been a stay-at-home mom for my whole life, and all of a sudden, my kids are growing up. I don't know what to do. Who am I? You're child of God. You're kid of the king. Who are you? You're kid of the king. Secure, fit, fashioned, made for a great purpose. I feel valued, important. Your mom assignment, changing. Some of y'all are going, praise the Lord. Come on, glory, let that thing come in. And for others, it's harder, right? I mean, it doesn't matter. It's just about the circumstances are your, are, are, and your assignment is just temporary. The pain is temporary. Who you are in God as a child of the king lasts forever. Keep the, the, your identity in the right place. Let God root you in that and let him change those things. And if you fall in love with the process of God shifting your assignment and you realize in the shifting of the assignment, he's teaching you more and more about who you are as a kid of the king. He's bringing you more and more into alignment with himself. It's more about what you're learning than what you're doing. It's way more about what you're learning than what you're doing. What he's doing in you is more important than what he's doing through you, but he called you to do something through you so that you can learn about who you are. Just gotta keep him in the right spot. 
He's the rock. He's immovable, never changing, never shifting. And you'll always feel secure even when your marriage doesn't work out. Come on. Even when your job doesn't work out, when it with your kids didn't work out, when that promotion didn't work out. <sighs> you don't need a perfect family. If you're a kid here, a young person, you don't need your circumstances to be perfect if you're a kid of the king. Mom and dad can move and leave. Mom and dad can make decisions and make mistakes. It's okay because you still feel secure because you're a kid of the king and you give him a pass for just being humans who are also learning. We're just people learning. How do we stay together? Listen, rebellion's a choice. Rebellion's a choice and it's not here. Rebellion's not here. Rebellion happens here. And so many times we blame our circumstances for why we do what we do. No. Your circumstances are going to go, people are like, why did God let that happen? Because he wants you to know that you're a kid, the king. Man, I'm telling you, when you start to get a revelation of God's love and how he allows sin, darkness, evil, all that stuff to happen, and it pressures our lives so that we know the thing we're predestined to be, can't undo, can't stop, is to become like Jesus and know him. Eternity is what we're living for, folks. Not here. In eternity, we don't have all that stuff. But we bring the pain of loss, grief, suffering with us as sons, daughters, children of the king into eternity. And we go, thank God. We never have to go back there again. I'm always choosing Jesus. I'm always choosing love. Amen. Can you give these guys a hand? Thank you so much for standing up here for so long. You did great. You guys are amazing. Joel, you can come out. Yeah. Good job, buddy. He's <laughs> back there waiting. He's like, come on now. Oh, God is so good. You liked it? All right. Joel liked it. <laughs> so good. Father, we love you today. Can you just close your eyes with me for a moment? Let's just... Just thank Jesus. God, we love you. You're so good. There's no one like you. God, we're desperate for an encounter with your love and with your presence. We just need you, Jesus, to identify us as your sons, as your kids. We don't want to be who we think we ought to be. We just want to be kids. Whatever you want to do with us, God, do it. Use us today. God, I align my heart, my mind, my spirit with your will. Forgive me for every way I've tried to manipulate and control the circumstances, to bend them into my will that would make me feel more comfortable the way that I think it ought to work. Forgive me, God, I repent now. Come on, if that's you, just repent. Jesus, I let it go, I repent. And I ask you, God, to align my heart, my life, with your will. I just come to you as a small child in my heart and I give my life to you now. Do whatever it is you want to do with it. All the circumstances, God, that I trust you to work them out. Even if I'm in a season of the cave where everything is crashing in around me, God, I just trust you and I find my peace, my hope in you and I come back to you, God. You're going to work out all things for the good of those. That's me who loves you and I put my love, my trust in you now. Come on, if that's you, I put my love, my trust in you now, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. If you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I want you to pray this with me. Come on, it says very simple. Declare he's God, believe in your heart. If that's you here today, pray this. Jesus, 
come into my life. I believe you're God. Change me forever. Save me and fill me now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Will you stand with me, church? Father, we bless your name. We love you. God, there's none like you. We ask for a fresh filling. We just worship just for a moment. I know we're a little over, but... Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at abbottloop.org and like us on Facebook. We hope to see you soon.